My name is John Doran and I write about music. For this episode of the British Masters for Noisy, we're heading back into the vaults by a couple of years. Goldie overcame a troubled youth to revolutionise UK dance music, not once, but several times over, as one of the most prominent innovators in drum and bass. I'm speaking to him today about his return to making music, hanging out with David Bowie and his belief in reincarnation. Now, normally on British Masters, um, it's traditional for me to warm up with a couple of boring questions just to lower the guest into it gradually. But today's guest, Goldie, has led to such an incredible and insane sort of life that I think really we should just dive straight in there. And with that in mind, Goldie, are you the reincarnation of an Egyptian pharaoh who was <laughs> cruel to his subjects? That's a great question. I've not heard that for a long time. I think I was the understudy to the pharaoh that was just terribly bad, got his heart ripped out. Yeah, that was, that was a very big part of my life, that. And I still believe that. But I always felt you get to this point in your life where you've had so much irresponsible belief system that I'm actually beginning to believe a lot of it. So yeah, I'm certainly fucking bonkers in that sense. I think there's a lot of madness in the belief system thing. Well, we're talking about like spiritual health, I guess. What about um, physical health? I believe you're like a real advocate for Bikram yoga now. The only description I can say what Bikram yoga, which I believe should be taught in the prison system. It's what it does to the inside and what it does to the mind. So I'm pulling out a map of your life and putting it into a big flat position, ironing it out and seeing where the patterns are. But it, it drove me to reinvent myself and gain wealth in another way. Because wealth for me was five cars on the driveway. I just fell for the same shit that my old man did. You know, Ferrari, Bentleys, yeah, look great, wicked, yeah. No, I didn't start Bikram Yoga until I was 44. I didn't make a record until I was 27. Mm. Never too late. So it's one of those things that I think that every you know, kid should get into it. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So this year, for the first time since 1999, you've got a new album out as Goldie, The Journeyman. Why was it right now, nearly two decades later, to do a new Goldie album? I'd made studio albums, eight of them. None of them come anywhere near Thomas. None of them were even anywhere near it. I think the whole mother project for, 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 for an addict, a drug addict, and a guy that was fucking really, it's about to get derailed several times, and take every cunt down with him. I felt that I needed, I needed to make Mother. I wasn't gonna make Timeless Sue. I'm an artist, like, that's what I do. I think it was a really beautiful album. But I, I kind of think that Timeless was a really beautiful redskin girl in a ghetto pushing a nice pram. She's a baby mother. And over the space of a few summers, she became an alcoholic, an addict, lost everything, and the pram became a wheelchair, and she's pushing this thing called gentrification of this electronic music that's so beautiful. And I, thought, I felt very angered by that. So I felt, for me, I wanted to surpass that album. So I wanted to make an album that was really truthful to what, was, what I've been taught by all of the new stuff that's happening. And conceptually, kind of make a concept album and do something that's really interesting. Because I wanted to do every record, I want every tune to be, it's directed, it's that thing where I'd, I'd play terrible games with myself. You know, track one, The River, track CD two, the river, two rivers, two different vocalists, same track. No one's ever done that. Redemption, I've got a 21 minute version, don't want it compared to time, it's like 18 and a half minutes. You know, Sun Ra meets Goldie meets Mars Davis, turns into a techno record, 172 to 127. The design of it all, I love that, challenging myself to what could be done, what hasn't been done. 
It is an amazing album. Have you listened to the album? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've been listening to it for the last five days. I really like it. So, like, you know, the first thing I wanted to say was, like, you know, for people who love drum and bass, they're going to be more than happy. Like, the synths on Prism, Triangle. <laughs> Prism's Oberheim, you know, that whole... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazingly really rich sound. I love uh, I Think of You. That's the one. That's Blue Note. It's so good, such deep production. But then by the same token, it's not just about drum and bass, is it? But think of you, you know, my Mika, she says, I think of you, I think of you. Well, it could be anything. It's that, it's that kind of generic, I think, of, well, I think of the blue note. I think of you as a beautiful creative place. And I just want you to listen, listen, listen. I'm glad you mentioned the blue note. I was just thinking about this today. It's like 20 years since I moved to London. I started, that was the first club I started going to. If I had to. a pound for every time that someone said that, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> have to pay the tax, man, yeah. <laughs> it's true though, but I think that, that for a space, which I guess that's what Shoreditch has become now in a sense, it was a space for creatives. From Alan Edwards to Bjork to, to Bowie, to all these people that went there. And I think it's a very important thing. I always thought, you know, there was a dead special atmosphere there. You had to get there early if you wanted to get in. But from your point of view, what was it about the club that made it so special? Behind the decks, as it were, you know? Well, I always shit myself to play. Everyone that played the Blue Note, I think, was definitely the line if they said I wasn't nervous. I went to the Bergholm on Saturday. Fucking hell, ain't all that. It's all right. Probably never getting there again. But to be honest, I got some Spanish fellow upstairs just boring me to death. It's all right. But for all of the hoo-ha on the door to get in there, it certainly ain't heaven. I was turned away from heaven five times, but when I got inside heaven, oh, Jesus, it was worth it. Yeah, yeah. The fact that you didn't know who was playing, one. Two, that the worker bee delivering back to the master the music that I heard from the week previously in another formula. Real alchemy, real fucking alchemy. <sighs> Certain tunes I hear in that club. You know, Spirit and, and, and Digital would be a classic example. You know, you'd hear this ominous hangman break and it's like, Jesus Christ. And we'd all be just going off on this tune. It would be mayhem and pandemonium. So that happened to plastic people also with dubstep and it happened with, with the grime lot and it's happened. And it's those, the, that detail of a club culture, the culture of keeping a club running long enough will create magic. I think if I was the mayor of London, especially underground music, you make a honeypot for people to come to London and they come to Shoreditch and they come to a club that no one else went to and then you move into the area because you love it, but you can't sleep at night because you don't like the sound. So let's get it closed down and make a petition. So for me, culturally, we should be making soundproof clubs. But the magic of that place, man, you know, the people that went, I can't have a trip, I'm going to carry Trevor Murray out of there, Bjorg Strummer. I carried some people out of that guff. I think I got carried out a few times. It's just a, a great thing to have. But I just tend to think that now is a lot of that based on just tweets and aspirations and a lot of air. So I think anyone who's followed your kind of musical career, especially post Inner City Life, it's dead, dead obvious that you're a jazz fan, you know, and, and I think that is equally apparent on the latest album. Do you keep up with the way that kind of jazz 
collides with various kind of genres like hip hop and yeah. techno. The design of the album is quite uncanny because I spent five years kaleidoscoping it. Three years ago, I did the drums at Battery Studios. I did three days with Betts, Blees, and a percussionist and just ripped everything I could possibly rip apart in terms of my heritage of breaks, new breaks, what does can sound like at 120, between 120 and 150, moving variants around, and especially playing with percussion a lot more. And I think the aspect of jazz brushes, which no one really fucks with in dance music, brushes. Since Journeyman's happened, I've written another album completely, completely, just to, just, just to do what I didn't do with Timeless. Push Journeyman aside and make a complete other album at 127 just to take the piss. So the Journeyman is an unfinished business. This is you back fully engaged. The Journeyman is the legacy album, which for me, that's my greatest work. And I know it's the greatest work. And it will take a while because people aren't used to long plays anymore because your colour photographs just turn black and white over a long period. And the way that young people listen to music, they want it to be quick now because it's a business transaction. I get it. So I wanted to make an album that was for grown-ups. So when I was doing research for this um, interview, I went back and I rewatched Bombing, which for those who don't know, it's this excellent kind of documentary which charted the rise of b-boy culture, not just in the US, but in the UK as well, and which features Goldie. Now, I was wondering, when you look back at that young man, I believe you were about, what, 21 at the so time? I was, seven, I was 18 when I was 18, all right, okay, fair enough. So when you look back at that young man, how much of him do you recognise in yourself now? All of it is 110%, it's the boy. The drugs of rock and roll crush the boy, strangle the boy. You know, that's why I did the Hoffman process. The Hoffman's been the single most process any man can do, or woman, you know, pre-yoga for me. Because, you know, I spent all this money going to rehab with people that had been there three times sprinkling crack on cornflakes. That wasn't me. It was a cocaine problem, and only cocaine, over a long period of time. But I kind of feel that the whole, I'm gonna, beat into you and, and beat you for my sins, and you've got to cross the road when you see a pub, doesn't really swing it for me. You know, I don't want to be that kind of man to, to live as a, a ghost in a shell of myself. Addiction's about taking everything out. Let's get all the leaves out of this thing. Let's say, let's see what's really in here. Cool, okay. But it doesn't unpack the box. Yeah. And unpacking the box and working out who made the box and how the box was made is what really kind of floated my boat. And I kind of devised Goldie as a character, as a b-boy. I think that's what b-boyism does. You gravitate towards the street because you have no mum and dad. And that's what happened in New York with all of that culture. Mums and dads were, were addicts as well. And I think the Hoffman really put, brought me to a place where this is, this is, this is really unravelling my life. Now, you've been kind of quite open in the past about saying, you know, lots of issues from your childhood and being put for adoption, growing up in grim institutions, having kind of rough time with foster parents. And I wanted to know, like now, at your, kind of your stage in life, have you put these demons to bed? And if so, kind of what is your motivating force for being an artist now? The, the family, the, the fact that I wake up every morning and say that I'm grateful to be alive, and I'm actually at the mortality stage. Now I can do what I want. There's nothing that's been unturned, but that kid answering your question is 100% right here, right now, right next to me. We're living the dream. For many people, me included, you know, timeless literally is the sound of the 1990s, you know, it's the sound of my mid-90s. What's brilliant about that album is it's the high contrast. 
then it's dead obvious that, you know, it's about living in cities. It's about living in inner cities. Mm. There's this undercurrent of darkness to it. But another thing that doesn't always get said about this album is it's incredibly optimistic. It's incredibly beautiful. It's incredibly sophisticated. I always wondered, how was this ever your first album? And it's not your seventh album, it's right. not your eighth album. How was this incredibly sophisticated record just your debut? Because of the, the levels of adolescent puberty I've gone through. And I'm a layer, graffiti makes you layer things really well, starting from like going back to dark. It was always that, which is why I think, and I will stand by it, the journey man is up there with it if not edging it, to be fair. It's gonna take time for people to absorb it. I get that. Because I don't base things on fucking hype and from social media. God, this album is the must. You're gonna live with it and it will live with you and it will change and morph. One day you'll be into redemption and the next thing you'll have mountains on loop. Because mountains is Porter said and it's massive attack and it's all of that. So for me, going back to what the point of this is, is that it's not produced, it's designed. It's also a very upbeat album in terms of celebrate. I want to celebrate the fuck I've done with this music. I also want to celebrate, you know, being alive and being, uh, being lucky enough to get ripped to pieces by the British press over and over again and to be reincarnated over and over again with it. Am I one for the road? Mm. What was it like holding a gun to David Bowie's head on camera? Oh, that's just a really good question. Uh, beautiful. David... He helped finance that film, brilliant. He, he changed my whole perception. The one thing I'll say about David, when it comes to writing music, he said to me, reinvention. He sat me, he phoned me up, I'd just done Truth. And, and I'd written Truth. I'd written all of Truth. He phoned me up and he went, God, he always, always take into consideration the performance of an artist. Yeah, just leaving that with you. I put the phone, I said, Trenton, give Davey 10% of truth quickly. <laughs> but he rightfully so, because of the way that he performed it. But he's, on that film set, he was brilliant. He got to be his little East End, as apart from Labyrinth, he got to be his little East End gangster, which is brilliant. He's brilliant to work with. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. That was a bit fucking long-winded, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That was me, John Doran, talking to a British musician who has changed the course of popular culture. This is the British Masters podcast. Watch the visual versions of the episodes on YouTube by searching Noisy British Masters and subscribe here to get new episodes of the audio version. Godspeed, friends, and remember, listen to Electric Wizard.